You are on SAFM. We were leading the conversation. And tonight we're in conversation with Gerald Williamson, clinical psychologist and educationalist. Now, as uh, the first term of 2019 has drawn to a close, a lot of the kids are kind of sitting back uh, thinking to themselves, oh, yay, holiday time. But sometimes as parents, we look at those report cards uh, and it doesn't always look that good. So when it comes to, uh, you know, kids who might not have done as well as you would have wanted them to or even have maybe not passed some of their subjects, what are some of the ways that we can motivate them um, and maybe even look at some of the subjects that they're struggling with during the holidays? On the line, we have Gerald Williamson. Gerald, uh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to chat to us this evening. It's a pleasure. Now, let's start off. Um, first of all, let's look at expectations from a parent's perspective. When we're saying that, you know, your children might not have done well, are we looking at kids that, are, that might have failed a subject or kids that are just not getting A's? Well, that's a hard one. <laughs> beauty lies in the eyes I, of the Exactly beholder, my point. It? So when, when uh, parents look at their kids, they obviously try to look for various indicators of what they term as success. Mm. Now, for some parents, I've, I've experienced that they remember their own school days and, you know, they have a lens that says, uh, uh, I will judge you according to marks. Uh, another parent may have struggled in their school days and they say, I will judge you to the, through the lens that you are putting in effort or not because I know what it's like to struggle and not. Another parent, for example, will say, uh, I score you compared to others and mm. others who might be family, etc. you know, like uh, comparing them to the Joneses and so forth. So. Yeah, it's different for different parents, I think. I think what I think the question that I'm asking is, how do we ensure that as parents we're not being overcritical um, when it comes to our, our, our kids' achievements? Uh, you know, in the in the in the term that has gone past. You know, often I say to parents that uh, when you look at your child's abilities and their hidden disabilities, right? and sometimes an obvious disability mm. for some kids. You need to be careful, you know, because uh, the way school operates, it's judging you against, against a certain set of content. Yes. It doesn't mean uh, that your child's ability to learn uh, is it, the total sum of it. Because often parents will say, but I see my child in other parts of life being different. Uh, in fact, what they term smart you know, communicate mm. well, interact. But why when it comes to a certain part of the school content or sometimes the whole school content, the child is not performing as they should? And herein lies the rub because that's a tricky one. You know, and I may say some things now that even education officials wouldn't like to hear and sometimes parents wouldn't like to hear. And that is, you know, that your, your child is a 360-degree holistic person with many yeah. different abilities. And that includes the uh, sport, arts, uh, culture. They may be good at different things. But when it comes to formal academic content, you know, the, the, the parts that influence that can be many. Yes. Amongst others. Let's start with the most obvious, that uh, a good teacher or a bad teacher, a, a teacher who engages your child, child or not in terms of subject content, methodology. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, classroom methodology, the way the teacher brings over understanding and so forth. Then there is also class size. Yes, uh, which makes a huge difference. determines how your child would learn in a class 
with how many people. And often there's this unrealistic expectation where 30 or 40 people in a class is conducive for learning. A lot of research indicated our South African model of learning, you know, where, where there's been political decisions made to fill up classrooms mm. uh, at the expense of overworked teachers, for example, uh, often underpaid, some would say, but under-resourced as well. Yeah. So they struggle to bring over content to your child. You yes. know, and, and your child is going to be examined on that content. And the first thing we do, our gut reaction is to say, there's something uh, intrinsically wrong, wrong with, with my child. Yes. We, we seldom look at what is often termed as the social barriers to learning versus the medical barriers to learning. I don't know if you've heard the two terms, right? Yes. Because with, with uh, medical barriers to learning, often we say there's a problem with the child, send them to a psychologist, send them to a occupational, occupational therapist, physio, etc. fix them. Yes. You know, give them the golden treatment and let's put them back into the war zone and they should function and run according to the rest. Then there's a social model of learning which indicates that there are factors influencing the way your child learns. I mentioned some of these just now. Uh, the school, parents, etc. The community you live in. You know, like you would expect a child who lives on a Cape Flat versus somebody who lives in Santon, in Houghton, on upmarket area versus Soweto, and so forth, to learn differently, differently. based on the mm. influences around their neighborhood, etc. Access to play, for example, is one good indicator of children's ability to learn from an early age. And often these days with a high crime rate, how many times have we denied our children the opportunity to, to play, go play outside? Free play? Yes. Don't go out of the house. Yeah, I you need know, to watch you. Don't go out in the yard. Don't go out into the street or in the park. And often that, for example, is one of the main reasons that I have found that children struggle to learn. So, yes, uh, social factors to learning can include poverty, uh, access to to the right nutrition, not just the fact that you might even be middle class and you're giving your child the type of nutrition that's not always valuable for the body and mind. I've seen parents sending kids to school with potato chips, yes, you know, for breakfast. And, but, and, uh, and, and sugary drinks. So, yeah. so those are the conditions that we're facing. Now the kid has come back um, and you're looking at a report card, let's say, where they're just marginally passing their subjects. Um, as a parent, first of all, um, you know, what are some of the things that you should be looking at? Should you not be first engaging in a conversation with your child to find out if those are some of the social, um, you know, social situations that are causing some difficulties at school? Sure. Look, depending on the age of the child, they may or may not make that a constructive conversation, right? But sure, if you ask your child what do they think is influencing them, they'll give you their their child vision perspective and, you know, through their filters. However, you know, I have another uh, uh, understanding and approach of when children come up with academic content, because it's one part of their learning, as I said. Yes. They, they, I always ask, and in the South African context, it's been well recorded that we have a huge problem in the area of the way we are teaching literacy and numeracy. We see that uh, as evidence in, in where we rank in the world literacy yeah. and numeracy index quite low. But what, I, what I, I often say to parents, regardless of what the social or medical conditions are around the, the way your child learns, would you not want to see measure their outputs? And since you're seeing the report card is one output, go one further. Measure their literacy and numeracy. What is the gaps in there? Because the ability to spell, not spell, put together a sentence, you know, a capital, a full stop, 
all of that is an expression of the content. And I have a, I have a very nice thing that I tell many people, including a lot of teachers. I said, you know, numeracy and literacy is like railway tracks. Mm-hmm. And then subjects are like carts that run on the railway tracks. If the railway track is wonky, the subject, the way they run onto the track will look bad. So often when, when teachers say they got uh, 5% or 20% or 30%, you say, hold on, can we look at the content that their child had and how they try to express it? And if there's problem in the literacy and numeracy component of it, it means regardless of what you're teaching, the way we are extracting it in the written word, word form right, means it, it becomes a problem. And that's why we've noted that uh, uh, up to grade 10, there's massive, massive amounts of literacy and numeracy problems. And even Gerald, beyond. I want to pick up on that, but I also want to pick up on the fact that it, it's more than just knowing A, B, C, D and, and being able to count to 100. It's about understanding the meaning of what is addition, what is subtraction, and how to put words together to make meaning of a sentence. Comprehension. Comprehension as well. We're into the home stretch of, of the pitch uh, this evening and we're in conversation with Gerald Williamson, who is a clinical psychologist and educationalist, chatting about um, the school first, the first term's results um, and looking at our children and what could be the challenges um, that they're facing and how we can overcome that um, as parents if we're looking at maybe improving those marks heading into the second term. Now, Gerald, before we went to the break, we were discussing literacy and numeracy. But for me, you know, knowing how to count and, and being able to identify numbers and knowing how to say ABC and sound the words out or the sounds of the letters out and being able to spot them is one thing. But m- making that content relatable, so so being able to comprehend what that all means when it's put together is a totally different skill. Sure, but related, right? Yes. So these are overlapping circles. So if you just, uh, uh, if the listeners can just view a pyramid and say what makes up the pyramid of learning and knowledge and we say the underlying drivers of that is the ability to read and understand, Mm. right, or to put numbers together and a formula together. So often what happens in our South African education system, sadly, it is largely a memory-based system and not necessarily a skill-acquiring system. So when we do exams and class tests, we ask largely in many subjects that the children must give back what we told them. Just right? regurgitate. Them one, two, three. Yeah. Now they must give us back three to one. And so we're measuring memory, which is a fluid concept. It mm. comes and goes. You can't even remember what you learned last year on the 1st of May. right? So this the afternoon. Fact the <laughs> memory is extremely fluid. So uh, when, when schools in, in a large part of our country, especially our public school system, produce results, most of the time... It's points in memory that we've measured, which is a totally, totally uh, poor way of measuring your child's learning skill, right? That's the first part that I'm mentioning. The second part, to work towards your question, is that the ability to understand content that was departed to you in class or imparted unto you in class, and you say, yes, I get it. Now the school says, well, there is something called a verbal expression, right? And the other one is give it to me in writing. Mm. And often where it comes to give it to me in writing, that's where most kids break down. They get tripped up. And I can share some 
secret statistics if I may, but... Uh, uh, we're just running out of time on that uh, uh, right now, um, uh, Gerald. Sure, but uh, what no I want to say is that uh, would it help looking at now, you know, now we know what these issues are. If, if first of all, you know, when we're looking at educatedness and being being literate when it comes to numeracy as well as just being able to read and put concepts together, that when we're working with our children, trying to improve things, we make, first of all, that learning process fun and relatable. Sure, of course. Learning should be fun. You know, and often they say, you know, uh, where, where classrooms are boring, are teachers willing to accept, uh, or and parents, are they willing to accept that the content uh, falls on, on deaf ears simply because it's, it's not packaged in a way that children learn. And children learn through fun. And yes. We, we're not saying that every part of math should be made fun, but potentially, by and large, character plays a role, the way the teacher approaches, the way the classroom is set up, the way the school is set up. All of that lends to the concept of fun is learning. And then, of course, the other thing is when we're looking at feedback, um, well, first of all, when we're looking at fun, it should be something that they're interested in. So it's not our fun, it's their fun. <laughs> and then the second thing is when we're looking at feedback, we should, we should balance the good feedback and the negative feedback. I think feedback is critical for every child. And we have a funny system where that every year, if you pass, you get 65% and they put you over to the next year. Yeah. Never do they go back and to say, well, which is the 45% that you didn't know. Yes. So. So not, never feedback, you know, as to where the areas that you need yeah. to, and, uh, where the learning gaps are. And so we start seeing that we have uh, one of the world's biggest dropout rates before grade 10 in the world. And maybe, just maybe, it's because one of the areas is that we never feedback to kids where the areas that they need to improve in. And when we're coming to um, rewards as well as setting goals, what are some key things that we should keep in mind uh, when working with our kids? Never bribe your children to learn. Oh, right? That's where I fall short. Yeah, Bribery but, and corruption. Yeah. <laughs> so we should put you at the zone, though, right? So, yeah, never bribe your kids to learn. Uh, I think you, you, you're distorting the learning process. You're making it sound like it's an extraordinary thing. Uh, I think uh, where you incentivize your children, we often say verbal praise, but not over praise, because you can kill mm-hmm. a child's spirit by uh, making them think that every little thing they do is something awesome, you know? Mm. So... Uh, Plays at the right intervals at the right time in the right spaces. Like, you know, when you pass a test or exam, uh, you know, a hug and a kiss and say thank you, etc. works. Uh, not necessarily let me take you out to the nearest fast food joint or go buy goods for you and stuff like that presents. Uh, last one also that I think that one needs to consider is that you, your child, your smile on your face and your acceptance of the failures to be say, able to say, I'm sorry that you failed or you did bad on this test. I know it, you're not feeling nice about it either. Empathy helps your child mm. much more to try and get back on again, uh, into the, onto the cell again, them, yeah. as opposed to what the hell am I spending my money on here? You know, yes, how many ne- times have I told negative. you to do this? It's because of the games that you are doing and it's because, because, and that type of attacking and critical attitude just makes your child's self-esteem shrink, shrink it further. Definitely. They just want to leave school. And the day they leave school, they promise that they never want to go go back back to books again.